0: there i'm aaron
1: martell i'm the professor
0: and i'm lou Figaro. and welcome to ridiculous rock record reviews a podcast where we talk about and review a rock album of our choice this episode we are joined by a returning guest co-pilot and patreon legend dan houston and dan welcome back once again to the r4 podcast hey guys awesome to be back all right So on this episode, we're going to review Van Halen's 1980 album, Women and Children First. Dan, where do you come in with Van Halen and this particular album? Um, Well,
2: first of all, this came out when I was quite young. So I come into Van Halen, like most people my age, around 1983. Um, I was a major Michael Jackson head when I was 10. You know, and through the playground or I don't know how I found out that Eddie Van Halen played the solo on beat it, which made me interested in that. I think maybe I have a couple memories before that, right around the time Eddie married Valerie Bertinelli. Um, my sisters watched that show she was on. And one of them was sort of aware of diver down and the goofy big bad bill song. And I have a memory of being in Payless, which was a local drugstore here in Washington state and seeing fair warning, just kind of going through all the scary record covers and, and that made an impression, but I didn't really start getting into Van Halen until right before 1984 came out. That came out. I was totally a hundred percent on board, but for some reason I gravitated towards fair warning more than women and children first. Um, and the, the debut album, I'm not sure why I didn't get into this album as much as, as some of the other stuff that was earlier, um, I was a very much of a a now kind of guy. So when a new album came out, I went all in on that. And then obviously, Fifty One Fifty came out when I was fourteen, so I was really into that. But you know, in terms of this album, um, I know I knew the the big hits. Well, you know, the big hits are. I know that's contextual, but I knew the the, the popular songs, but outside of listening to it a few times years ago, I hadn't listened to it in a long time. So I'm glad that I'm here to to go over it with you guys.
0: All right. Professor, you know the
1: drill. Well, I kind of went over my Van Halen history a long time ago, but uh, I know for this album in particular, after Van Halen 2 and the tour, I was waiting for this album. I was really looking forward to it, but you know, back in 1980, there was no way for us to know when a new album was coming out, unless you, you know, read it in a in a magazine or if you saw an ad in the paper. It would just, you know, magically appear in the stores one day. I was not a young guy. <laughs> so I was in the eighth grade and I had a full-fledged music freak by this time. And Van Halen was 100% my band. But I also had a lot of other bands that I was really into as well. Uh, These are just some of the albums that came out in 1980. Russia's Permanent Waves, Jay Giles' Love Stinks, Nazareth's Malice in Wonderland, Bob Seeger and the Silver Bullet Band Against the Wind, Triumph, Progressions of Power, Scorpions, Animal Magnetism, which my mother hated that album cover. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, right. And Judas Priest, British Steel, Black Sabbath, Heaven and Hell, Pete Townsend, Empty Glass. I was a big who guy. Uh, Alice Cooper, Flush the Fashion, The Rolling Stones, Emotional Rescue, Queen, The Game. ACDC's Back in Black, The Cars, Panorama, Ozzy Osbourne's Blizzard of Oz, and The Police, Zenyatta Mantada. Sixteen albums that I still have on my phone. I still listen to those whenever they come whenever they come up. Uh, and the next year is even better, in my opinion. But I remember when this album came out, I was talking with a friend of mine in Study Hall. Remember those? <laughs> <laughs> the free period where you were just held in prison. Um, and he had this new Van Halen album and i and i distinctly remember asking him how it sounded and he said it sounds like a live recording to him and he said he'd let me borrow it and i could dub it as a, a cassette to his lp and uh thank you john Timonary, for doing that for me and that's how i got this album
0: all right
3: lou i can't say when i first heard this i i was a big fan of van halen the first i loved the first two records but i couldn't tell you when i first heard this because it It seems like it's been in my life the whole time. I really started to pay attention to this record, probably my junior year of high school, which puts it about 83. But that's that's what I got
0: about this. All right. This is our seventh time reviewing a Van Halen record, and for a quick recap, I came into this band with the album 1984, and I just lost my shit over this band, especially the original David Lee Roth era. So after I got into Van Halen, I went back and got all the previous albums on cassette, and if I remember correctly, I got them in order of release, so Women and Children First would have been the fourth Van Halen album I ever owned, and that's where we'll begin. Now I'll give you some basic facts about this record, taken off its Wikipedia page. Women and Children First is the third studio album by American hard rock band Van Halen, released on March 26, 1980 on Warner Brothers Records. It was produced by Ted Templeman and was recorded from December 1979 to February 1980 at Sunset Sound Recorders, Los Angeles, California. It reached number six on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart and is certified three times platinum by the RIAA. And here's the band's lineup card. We've got David Lee Roth on lead vocals and acoustic guitar. Eddie Van Halen on guitars, electric piano, and backing vocals. Michael Anthony on bass guitar and backing vocals. And Alex Van Halen on drums. There are additional musicians, which we'll mention as we see fit. And also, all tracks are written by Eddie Van Halen, Alex Van Halen, Michael Anthony, and David Lee Roth. All right, let's get into a track-by-track analysis of this album. Opening up the proceedings is And The Cradle Will Rock. Say it's
4: kind of frightening how this younger generation swings. You know it's more than just some new sensation. Well, the kid is into
0: What do you think?
2: Okay. So I'm very familiar with this song just from mixtapes and stuff over the years. I know that, that this is a keyboard riff, which I didn't realize for many, many years. Um, I think that the whole line about Eddie Van Halen said over and over again about somebody in the band, um, David Lee Roth saying you're a guitar hero. No one wants to hear you play keyboards. I think that might even date back to this song. You know, it's a very kind of heavy driving keyboard riff with uh, you know Michael Anthony and Eddie's overdub guitar kind of driving the song. The lyrics are surprisingly cynical. It's almost like David Lee Roth doing a uh, 1980s version of The Wire or something in Southern California. <laughs> uh, the system's going to grind you down, and it's everything's just going to repeat over and over again which is not really what I expect from a band that, like, is, you know, basically party is in big lights behind them most of the time. You think of Van Halen, you think of explosions, people getting drunk, you know, parties, not the lyrical message in here. It's a great solo. I think um, good melodic bends. And it it sounds like on this album, they're giving An- Michael Anthony more to do than they have in the past. Uh, maybe that's just my ears, but this is a great tune. It's one of their one of their deep classics, and it's not something that you usually expect from Van Halen. So I really like it.
1: Prof, well, Dan, like you, I hadn't listened to this whole album in a long time, and uh, I'm wondering, were you listening to the, the 2015 remasters? I think so. Yeah. Okay, because I I, I, my, I had the same thing about Michael Anthony. I I thought, wow, I can really hear him. I don't remember being that he, him being that prominent when this album first came out or in the, the first version of the CD that I had of this. I just remember my reaction to this song was, what was that? That airy, distorted whoosh, like a jet engine misfiring. What the hell is Eddie doing with his guitar now? Is that pick slides with, a, with a, an effect pedal? And then, wait, wait, no, what? Not a guitar solo? Not a guitar, but, a, but a, an electric piano? No way. I didn't understand what was going on with that. I I question if it was the same thing he was doing in in Unchained, but no, that was actually his guitar. But I digress. Um, You don't really even hear Eddie's guitar until like the 11 second mark, and he's just hitting the fast strumming some accent notes to kind of pump up the song a bit. The main riff of the song is a bass guitar pulsing with uh, Alex's beat and that Wurlitzer electric piano with a lot of distortion through Eddie's Marshall. That's the whole riff of the song. As the guitar pops in again for some good counter melody, and there's a a pick slide before that whoosh. Have you seen Junior's grades? And that's that's an excellent line. I love listening to this on headphones. I was really enjoying it because I heard things I had never heard before. That faint woo-hoo snicker after that line is delivered. The song title kind of clues the listener in that this song is going to have a lot of attitude, an attitude that only the mighty Van Halen could bring, menacing tongue-in-cheek attitude with incredible musicianship, And a loose sense of fun. I didn't get the cynical part of it. I just thought it was, you know, fuck school kind of attitude that they were given. Um, But this song is a banger in headphones, like I said. Uh, And I heard more than what I'd ever hear on my car stereo on the headphones. But uh, no, I like this tune.
3: Lou? Yeah, I never knew it either, that the elephant noise was not coming from Ed's guitar. Every guitarist I ever jammed with did it on theirs. He did it as a pick scratch, a phased out pick scratch. <laughs> and it, what, what he did it on a whirly plugged into his Marshall, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, out of the gate, this record sounds fucking awesome. Ted Templeman had a simple but perfect way of recording these guys. Straightforward miking, bit of ver- reverb for the room. It sounds like they're standing right in front of you with all guns blazing. Then Dave overdubs all kinds of noises, squeaks, and howls. Damn kids, they're out of control. This kid's nothing but a long-haired, dirty stay-out. Don't come home for half the week. He's more than aggravating, but the cradle will rock. Rock on. Being from New Jersey in the mid-'80s and a major consumer of Aquanet hairspray, we used to change the words around 84 to, Have you seen Junior's hair?
0: (laughs) So, the first thing you hear, and I agree with you guys, I didn't know this at first, is that phased and amplified Wurlitzer electric piano. And it sounds like some sort of machine or engine cranking up. I think you mentioned that, Prof. It's a cool and distinct sound that takes us to a mid-tempo rock tune overdriven by Eddie Van Halen's Wurlitzer electric piano riff in the left channel and his complimentary guitar fills and tremolo picking in the right channel, which is that old Ted Templeman production trick. You were saying that, Lou. Alex Van Halen's beat is pretty no frills and Michael Anthony plays staccato bass notes. Eddie's solo starts off with his famous tapping. He develops it through and ends on some screaming high notes. This album is just peak David Lee Roth in full glory. He's whooping. He's screaming. He's chuckling. He's funny. Have you seen Junior's grades? He is the rock showman extraordinaire. The lyrics address the gap between the straight-laced older generation of the parents and the swinging younger generation of their son. Unemployed, slacking you could have at least faked it, boy. He don't care. And why? Because he's just gonna rock on, which is the message of the R4 podcast. This was the first and only single from the album that reached number 55 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. Rock on! The next track is Everybody Wants Some.
1: Prof, what do they want? Oh, this is another banger in headphones. You but you can't get romantic on a subway line. Remember that cuz you know, if the conductor don't like it, it, says you're wasting your time. Eddie is playing along with that beat that Alex has put down, that jungle beat, and then uh Eddie's strangling his guitar. He's doing things to it that a 13-year-old would do to his member. I mean, <laughs> that's just he's just making the thing squeal. And uh the squeal he gets from it after he played that monster riff I wonder this dude was always smiling. He makes it seem so effortless. The band is, is playing some of the stuff that would melt your face, like uh, McFly in the in the Back to the Future movies. And David Lee Roth is in his own little world. The bass line on this is thick and sick. I hear it now and can only shake my head at how Eddie, would, Eddie, after he grew bitter with Michael Anthony and dissed him and his playing ability at every chance he got, I'm surprised he didn't go back and change the the liner notes on this saying that he played the bass. And then I love the, I I took a mobile light looking for a moonbeam. Yeah, you stand in line, you got lost in the jet stream. Of course, live, it was always, you got fucked up. Yeah, you fucked up and got lost in the jet stream, which was much better. Apparently, this song was written in the studio. They were just jamming and uh, DLR was ad-libbing to a female visitor in the booth, according to Ted Templeman. Um, Most of what he was saying was hilarious and had to be edited out. Uh, like, where'd you get that shirt? I like the way the line runs up the back of your stockings. I always like those kind of high heels, too. And the classic at the end of the song, look, I'll pay you for it. What the fuck? Mr. Roth, what a charmer. It's exactly what everyone wants to hear. <laughs> so, this got that loose feel to it. The first two songs are absolute diamonds. I mean, they don't get better than Van Halen and those two.
3: Lou. <clears throat> I took a moobie light looking for a (laughs) moobie. Is that what he's saying? That's what he's saying.
4: (laughs) Took a moobie light looking for a (laughs) moobie.
3: Yeah. You could sum up a band with one song. This is it. I love the jungle drums and the Tarzan yells. David Lee Roth took a monkey time as a toddler and made a career out of it. (laughs) Imagine being paid millions to be a pretentious, annoying little brat. (laughs) This song fucking rocks pretty hard. Then it breaks down to what I consider a musical equivalent of a lap dance. No, 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 no. Don't take them off. Leave them on. Yeah, a little more to the right. It builds back up to a big scream and finish. This is quintessential Van Halen. Look, I'll pay you for it. What the fuck?
2: (laughs) Dan. All right. Well, so it starts out with the tribal drums, like like everyone else said. Um, I'm usually if I'm if I'm playing with somebody and they show up with rototoms, I like roll my eyes and go like, oh, my God. But like (laughs) Alex Van Halen makes it work. You know, it's not an easy thing to not sound like a complete chump playing those those drums. He makes it work again. Michael Anthony is playing with a pick. It sounds like to me, not with his fingers, almost a treble dead sound, but it totally works. Um, he's giving him much more to do than they than he has in the past records. Again, like like Ray said, I think maybe it's the remastering where you can hear him play. I don't remember on my old cassette in the '80s picking this up like the subtleties of what he's doing. He is a good player and does not get enough credit for his ability. I can't not comment on the fact that this was a major part of the movie Better Off Dead <laughs> when he's uh, when he's making hamburgers and the and the and the hamburger turns into Eddie Van Halen. I'm glad um, somebody mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'll never forget that when I was a kid and I, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> um, it's a nice pop hook at the end, which Eddie is a master at, adding those melodies to like heavy songs at the very end in the outro. Um, and then of course, Roth is complete cheese with his, you know, with his raps. Um, what's not to love about this song? A hundred percent classic,
0: like two home runs right out of the gate. Can't add much to this, but, you know, you want to hear my voice, right? Alex lays down the jungle beat rhythm, Dave does his best Tarzan yodel, and after some eerie guitar noises, Eddie and Mike just come in. Dun-dun! Dun-dun! And then it turns into a groovy little rocker that just cooks around Eddie's loose-as-fuck riff. Dave gets on a hot mic as he bellows, You can't get romantic on a subway line! Conductor Don't Like Us says you're wasting your time. The chorus is catchier than genital herpes, and that makes sense, since lyrically it touches on a universal sexual theme. Everybody wants some, I want some too. Everybody wants some, baby, how about you? Eddie's solo is a weird but awesome one. It's whiny and almost sounds like a guy pleading for some action. And the breakdown is all classic Diamond Dave. Who else but this guy could pull off this spoken word sexy talk in the middle of a song? What, maybe Prince? I like the way the line runs up the back of her stockings and her high heels too, Dave. It wasn't a single, but this shit gets played on the radio. What an incredible one-two punch to open the record. The following track is Fools.
4: Well, I'm sick and tired of cleaning.
0: Lou, lead us off.
3: Well, the intro is Dave's tribute to Robert Janice Coverdale. Then <laughs> <laughs> Ed just fucking destroys with a mind-blowing solo until everybody shuffles into line and they stomp down the fucking highway. Holy shit, this has big fucking balls. Feels like they're dragging them down the street like Randy Marsh with te- testicular cancer. Mike Anthony drags his fucking track through the dirt, and I love it. The backup harmonies are near barbershop quartet quality. All the while, Dave bellowing over the top, the ringmaster. There was a rumor that Gene Simmons guested on this record somewhere. I think it sounds like him putting his headphones on, screaming, Into the (laughs) mic and taking his cans off, not even his sunglasses. His sunglasses have been on the whole time, giving him the thumbs up and getting the fuck out of there.
0: Surprised he didn't take a writing credit (laughs) and
1: picking up a check.
0: (laughs) Dave closes it out with some cultural
3: appropriation and a Louis Armstrong esque Scott. Ah, cha cha.
2: (laughs) Love it. I love this fucking tune. Dan. All right. So it starts out with the call and response thing. And, you know, honestly, Roth isn't up to it, but it still works. It creates kind of its own thing, even trying to it's not copying other bands or, you know, other blues things. It just comes out Van Halen and it works kind of a heavy intro riff that goes into kind of a little eruption junior thing for a second and then into a swaggering mid tempo rocker again, picked bass. Very angry, cynical lyrics. Roth knows his audience. 17-year-old males who are angry. He nails it. Um, The backup vocals are really what set VH apart, you know, in terms of other bands from this era. They're just top-notch, like studio musician, out-of-the-park, backup vocals. Carries this song. Um, Ed is loose and improvisational, but very smooth and precise. Again, effortless. It sounds like he's coming up with this stuff off the top of his head, and maybe he is. Great solo against the bass that Michael Anthony's playing. It's got that live jam feel of a super tight band that's been on the road. Roth, again, is doing his cheesy showbiz, you know, showbiz scatting, which works. Another great song.
1: Prof. Well, it has that loose jam live feeling. Like, they just came up with this song right off the cuff, uh, the way it starts. And when, in fact, the song was written before Michael Anthony even joined the band. And he's playing those blues licks. And I have this in my notes that uh, David Lee Roth sounds like he's doing a uh, Janis Joplin on a three-day bender. Mm-hmm. Then they try one together before Eddie starts some power chords and Alex joins in. Uh, a little more Eddie noodling before it devolves into that choppy main riff. That kicks in some nice thumping bass here too. That's three in a row where I'm really noticing the bass DLR's lyrical delivery contributes to the loose feel of the song who makes the rules fools. I live with fools. Um, the teachers all gave up on me, no matter what, what they say, I just disagree. Heavy song with quite a few guitar overdubs that I can hear. It has that, that bouncy choppy outro, like DOA with a uh, DLR scatting and he's a, uh, Zop, da, 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 doodling all day there. Typical DLR. This one, to me, doesn't, it feels a little subpar. Like they could have worked on the lyrics a little bit better. Like when he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something. Let me, I'm going to put it to music. It just, it seems a little too contrived for me. The longest
0: track on the album, largely due to Eddie and Dave noodling around into a trash can intro until Eddie takes over with some flurious note and tapping phrases until it crystallizes into a slow, heavy, staccato thumper that features all the players locked in and stomping together. In the verses, Dave moans about school. The teachers gave up on him. He's a grease ball from the wrong side of the tracks who listens to too much music, and he's sick and tired of cleaning room and pushing broom. The chorus opens up with some tasty Eddie fills, and you can really hear those Michael Anthony high harmonies, while our boy is still bummed out about being surrounded by fools. Eddie does his Eddie thing on the solo, tapping and shredding with the whammy bar, and the outro has a descending progression that slows things down while Dave does some waggy za za ba ad libs Yep, this is another winner for me.
1: Dan, you brought up the fact that they, they sound so loose and... and- tight, like they've been on the road. They have like 300 shows under their belt by this time. And, yeah. and uh, when like 150 of them were them headlighting and I think that their tour stopped in November and then they were in, in the studio or, or rehearsing in December. And then they cut this whole album and like they laid the the, the, the music down in like five days and then another four days to get the vocals. And then the, the rest of it was just a bunch of overdubs and touch-ups here and there. Crazy.
2: They don't do it like that anymore, man. They worked these bands back then, you know? You worked. Like, you were on the road, right into the studio, back out on
0: the road. There's something to be said for that. Yep. Makes good bands. Yeah, <laughs> you're professionals, exactly.
1: Yeah, <laughs> makes good bands. Road dogs are usually the best bands anyway, so...
0: Yep. The next track is Romeo Delight.
4: A from your mama's tongue You a desperate woman, need a man with a gun High crime zone is your life. say, hey, it anymore. I baby, take it I take a to the body tonight, and I'm looking for somebody to squeeze. Uh-huh. I ain't looking for somebody to play, baby. Don't get up hey, baby,
0: Please, Dan, you like this one.
2: Yeah, I do. This is one of the deep cut classics that most Van Halen fans know. Um, it's a fast, groovy song. Again, I, maybe I missed this in the past, but Michael Anthony is, is was higher in the mix than I've heard him before on what I was listening to. He's playing his ass off. Party lyrics, again, soaring backup vocals. You know, Roth doing his preening routine. With, the solo is great. It's really, really good. So many players in the 80s tried to do this and failed to recreate the feel of being loose, but also super precise. You know, I I love the slow finger pick part too. This is one of my favorite Van Halen songs of all time. Ever since I, you know, I was younger. I've always loved just the way this is constructed. So when I think of Van Halen, it's this.
1: Professor. Well, they used to open their show with this. This was their, their tour opener. Um, Eddie would just start wailing and doing his crazy melt-your-face stuff, and then the band would just break into this and just go. And the, the entire arena would just light on fire immediately. But every time I hear this song, all I can think of is cocaine, adrenaline, a pot of strong, strong coffee, and a handful of amphetamines, and you get one of the fastest, funkiest boogies Van Halen ever laid down. Breakneck full steam ahead. I got it in my notes here. Once again, the bass line Pops. Alex's arms are getting a hell of a workout. Eddie is proving that he is, in fact, an extraterrestrial once again. And DLR is oozing cocksure attitude and spades. Want to see my ID? Trying to clip my wings? Don't have to show you proof of anything. I know the law, friend. <laughs> in my experience, that this approach, when dealing with the police directly, is not fruitful. <laughs> um, <laughs> the blistering solo with the bass noodling behind it is just damn Good. And then DLR singing Feel My Heartbeat as the song ends. Yeah, feel it beat right out of his ribcage.
3: Lou. Yeah, Prof. Peruvian Marching Powder. This one's nitro-injected. Rapid-fire riff, high-power drums, and Michael Anthony in low gear and wide open. This reminds me of Light Up the Sky in intensity and speed. Takes you on the same kind of ride, too. Goes up and down the valleys barely stopping for lights up and down the mountain. The breakdown floats you in ether and keeps you in the air as Alex beats his hi hat like it owes him money, building tension and as they all catch up and release it back down like a fucking roller coaster. The next slides that he does at the end uh, sounds like he's butt-fucking a buffalo with the neck of Frankenstein. No wonder that fucker looks so stained and dirty. What a fucking ride. This is another one of my favorite Van Halen tunes. So far, four for four.
0: Now the band kicks it into high gear on a fast chugger that features Mike's bass percolating like a tripped out heartbeat. You feel it? With the fast notes over Alex's open hi-hat and Eddie's volume swells. And then the pre-chorus and chorus brings back the accelerated chug and rocks your fucking face off, with Alex doing his trademark cymbal washes and clanging on the ride cymbal. Eddie's solo is his usual sloppy, controlled chaos, and then tapping his low E-string against the guitar's pickup to match the bass and the breakdown. And listen to what Mikey's doing under there. He's getting off his own high note fills. He refuses to be left out. This track belongs to the off-malign bass players, son. Lyrically, our narrator's had it with his chick. Even her mama's spreading rumors, and he can't take it anymore. So our boy's like, "Fuck it!" He's bringing whiskey to the party of the night, and he's looking for somebody new to squeeze. But he knows when to leave at the eleventh hour, and he don't want to deal with the old squeeze's uptight ass. This one punches you in the mouth, laughs at you, and runs off. Hell, fucking yeah! So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on "Tora Tora."
1: P, what do you make of this? Some backwards guitar wankery, some spacey alien engine revving, complete with a crash, and a bluesy dirge with some, ah, filler. I'm good with listening to it once. Next. (laughs)
3: Lou. Well, let's call a spade a spade and consider this an intro for the next song that they decided to split up for more publishing. I'll see you in a few minutes for the
2: rest. Dan. Yeah, complete filler. I mean, I, I, I don't know why they just didn't, you know, like Lou said, this must have been a publishing decision. You can just have combined this with, with the next song and it would
0: have been a great track. An eerie sounding backwards recorded Eddie dive bomb and plucking of the tremolo springs and the guitar strings above the nut, which makes that like tinkling sound. Transitions to a low, dark, evil-sounding instrumental passage With Dave and Mike yelling "ah" Like they're being tortured in the dungeon And then it just cuts off Like we've all been saying This really only serves as the intro to the next track And this is some low-hanging fruit But I'm taking it It's Aaron's Stinky Stinker <laughs> Cheating, I don't care The following track is Loss of Control Lou,
3: what do you say? After the slow, sludgy intro at Tora Tora, Dave's wailing Banshee style, you can almost hear the tape cut. As it switches to the double bass drum-backed frenetic speed riff, Ed's fingers sound like they're getting tied into knots as he flows through a mind-bending, repeating pattern, then stop, repeat. This really shows how fucking tight these four guys were. You were saying it before, with 300 shows under their belt. They're, They're an amazingly tight band right now. There's that musical blood harmony between the brothers, Alex almost telepathically knows when Ed's going to turn on a dime and Michael Anthony's right there with them. Dave caterwalling over the top to fit in where he can plays the master of ceremonies perfectly. The crowd barker, the snake oil salesman, cocaine. It's a hell of a drug.
2: Dan. Well, it goes into a fast shuffle. Um, Michael Anthony has a lot more to do again. Great backup vocals again, almost Studio, like I know I said this before, but studio musician type tight harmonies over top of, you know, a driving beat. The solo is is not all tapping, which I like. And it's still, you know, totally inventive. Um, I think the cowbell is silly, but, you know, it, 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 it serves its purpose. The Dave vocals where it sounds like he's, you know, communicating with a pilot is is funny. Again, another tight tight band that's spent a lot of time on the road. And I think I, Flanger's introduced at some point on this too.
1: So I love this song. Professor. Another cocaine fueled song. We had breakneck speed, boogie and Mach five, some impressive drum fills from Alex and some crazy playing by Eddie, but the microphone megaphone, lyrical delivery and the mental patients chanting lots of guitar, lots of control, lots of control, lots of control" grates on me. I'm not a big fan of this tune.
0: This might be the fastest, most chaotic track in the entire Van Halen discography. Alex's double bass drumming makes sure this song's foot is kept pressed on the accelerator, and Eddie's frantic riff threatens to go off the rails any second. The lyrics repeat themselves over three verses, and Dave is letting his chick know he's checking out. He's out of there. And Mikey's backing vocals tell the tale... of course the solos all over the place with a phaser effect pan back and forth as they come out of the break alex throws in some cowbell baby unhinged and unchained van halen yes please i fucking love this the next track is take your whiskey home Dan, your thoughts.
2: This song starts with classic Roth kind of acoustic intro, and then it goes into a, a shuffle kind of close to what they would do on Mean Streets on the next album. Um, I really like the way that uh, Michael Anthony plays on this entire album, but Roth really is the star on this. He really sells it. Another Eddie solo that is precise. Um, the tapping seems right off the top of his head. I know it's not, but it sounds like he just walked in, picked up his guitar, tapped something totally in key that made sense with the song. You know, somebody who makes it look easy. That would be Edward Van Halen. Really strange, abrupt ending. But I like this song just because it seems like the band just showed up, plugged in and did this without any forethought, which that is something else for a, for a, a band to play that tight and have it sound like they're not even trying.
1: Just another great song. Professor Permi. Well, I dig that bluesy chicken guitar picking that's playing at the front with Diamond Dave and his raspy delivery. I think it's just perfect. It adds tension to the song and then how the band just kind of falls in. I love how, the, I love how that happens. Um, the main riff and that start and stop and on headphones, that faint whoa, just before the lyrics. Another banger on headphones, like I said, bass is thumping again. Eddie's first solo is really bluesy, DLR moaning in anguish in the background. Um, some goes to women, some goes to Jesus, but I'm absolutely certain both's all right. Uh, the solo 2 starts out bluesy and then shoots into outer space, bringing in that breakdown like only Van Halen can. And then a, that weird whoosh stop. I love this tune. Lou. Well, here we get another sample of Ed's acoustic
3: prowess. He's just amazing and groundbreaking as his electric style. When they crash in with the rest of the band, it's pure Van Halen. Dave's the wise old barker, giving his sage advice. You're headed for a whole lot of trouble if you take your whiskey home. Leave that shit at the saloon, man. It's bad news. It'll piss off your old lady if you're falling down drunk in front of her and the ankle biters. This is one of Van Halen's best tunes. I
0: friggin' love this thing. There hasn't been a bad tune yet on this record. In which Van Halen proved once again that they could do blues rock as good as anybody while still bringing then modern elements to it. They did it with Ice Cream Man on the first record and they do a similar thing here. Eddie leads off with acoustic blues swamp licks and Dave goes into his white boy pseudo blues man shtick that somehow doesn't feel disingenuous to the sources he's borrowing from. Then it gets rocked up. While maintaining that loose bluesy vibe, the rhythm section is basically holding it down for Eddie and Dave to get their grooves on. Eddie gets two short solo spots and he does his Eddie Van thing on them. They're not really straight blues solos, but they fit the track just fine as Mike moves the bass lines a little bit and has a little fun. Lyrically, our boy likes to drink and that gets him in a whole lot of trouble. His woman knows it and she's pretty sick of it, but thing is, what she don't get is that she's the one driving him to drink. So what we got here is a vicious circle. What are you going to do? I dig it, man. The penultimate track is Could This Be Magic?
4: moon out tonight, Baby, let's begin. She said, could this be magic? Or could this be love? Uh-oh. And I said, could this turn tragic? You know that magic often does. I see. Lonely ships the water. Better say, women and Sail away with someone's
0: daughter. Better say, women and Prof, is this magic for you?
1: Well, back in 1980 I would say no. Um, it starts off with them settling in and tuning their acoustic instruments and then DLR starts strumming along as Eddie's playing that bluesy lead like he just came back from the crossroads it took me a while to get to this song looking back at the breadth of their work and i can kind of understand how it fits in with them it's a bluesy sea shanty with a vaudeville flair supposedly it's got nicolette larson singing backup although i can't pick her voice out at all i could decipher the rain only with headphones in the 2015 remasters before that i always thought that the rain was really just like static that they kind of added in, like, you know, it's a vinyl record and it's going to be old. So let's put some pops on it. I like this song. I did not like it then. It's aged much better for me. And even it's got the, the album title in it. So I like it. Lou. I get
3: why they called this Zeppelin three of Van Halen. It's, it's the more rootsy. If you can call it that it's definitely more rootsy darker musically and lyrically heavier than the previous two. Here they're completely unplugged and they're just as exciting as when they're cranked to 11 and almost, dare I say, mature. It's another example of the absolute exquisiteness of these particular four guys. No one could do it the same or any better. The combination of Dave's antics and the tightness of this band just sparkle especially in this tune. I I love it. Uh, it's just just a, a, a Louis Gush fest.
0: <laughs> Dan.
2: Okay, so I'm going to digress a little bit. When I was about 16 or 17, I had a um, an early 80s model Mustang that my dad let me drive. It was not a good car. It was one of those ones that, you know, the Japanese almost put Ford out of business kind of Mustangs. Um, so it had one speaker that worked and this Mungo Jerry song in the summertime came on <laughs> and that is recorded in stereo. And I was getting it on one speaker with just one side of the voice and it used that, that got in my head and it drove me crazy for like six months. This reminds me of that, not in a good way. Um, but you know, as it goes on, I, I initially when at the beginning when he's going like, take it edward like that's all i I couldn't stop thinking about how much i hate that song um (laughs) you know as it goes on though the song kind of moves into kind of like that goofy that goofy sing-along chorus and and i loosened up a little bit then nicolette larson wanders in at the end which did she just was like a doobie brothers session happening how (laughs) does how does she end up in here is it just cocaine like (laughs) a lot of stuff on this doesn't make any sense to me But you know what? Van Halen is extremely talented and basically at this point could do anything they tried. So, you know, more
0: power to them. More acoustic, folky country blues with Dave playing acoustic rhythm in the right channel and Eddie playing acoustic bottleneck in the left channel. And wouldn't you know it? The fucking thing works. Dave easily slips into that shuck and jive, mannered, full blues man voice that puts the song over and that Sammy Hagar couldn't emulate on the best day of his life. Check out A.A. Political Blues off OU812 if you want to hear what I'm talking about. The choruses are insanely catchy, and on the last pre-chorus, on one line, we get a harmony vocal from Nicolette Larson. She of gonna take a lot of love fame. Dave is half laughing as he sings this, and the lyrics are about kicking back on the islands, relaxing and laughing with music in the air, and women's on your mind. Take that, Hagar. Man, what wouldn't I give to be able to go back in time, kick back with the boys and listen to Eddie Van Halen play bottleneck while singing lonely ships upon the water. Better save women and children first. (sighs) And that brings us to the final track in a simple rhyme. How about this last one, Lou?
3: They could have closed out the record with the last song, but instead they decided to leave us with this up-tempo rocker. Not sure where they were trying to go, but it makes an interesting closer. Instead of a big finish, it's sort of middle of the road. The breakdown and the solo are a bit more of the same, but I'll still take it over silly girl group cover songs. The outro tries to make up for this lackluster final track, but the damage is done. I'm out,
2: Dan. I couldn't disagree more, Lou. Uh, this has uh, got a great clean twelve-string guitar opening, um, and then goes into a galloping pop hook. It's everything I love about Van Halen. You know, spending time in California for part of my life, the the sun's out, like you're outside. Simple pop. These guys can rock that up and make it more than just a simple pop song. Uh, Michael Anthony is being allowed to play, or at least they turned him up for the the version that i that I had. And I really like the the kind of the quiet, loud, quiet dynamic that they have going. And again, the solo is classic. It's classic Edward Van Halen, just making it seem like he just is smiling and ripping this off the top of his head when you know he's workshopped it for hours. Just that ability to sell, not trying, when you obviously are a genius and you know exactly what you're doing. That's everything I love about this band. Um, This is probably my favorite deep cut Van Halen song on any of their records.
1: Prof. Here we go. One of Van Halen's best songs. Just uh, from the gentle start, kind of like Women in Love meets Beautiful Girls Tone. Alex marching beat and those blaring guitars as DLR chuckles as he delivers the opening lyric. So much attitude. Well, back in the past when I was treated so coldly, my life was a darn disgrace. Damn. This is just a great song. I like the, well, ain't life grand when you finally hit it. I'm always a sucker for a real good time. That, that right there, that just says screams California to me. So I'm right there with you. Sun's out, guns out. Let's go have some fun. Um, so, and uh, the guitar solo at this one, that blazes. It just takes off like a rocket and soars throughout the whole thing. And then when he, he hears his angel sigh, that little breakdown where they're all singing the harmonies, this is just a good tune. So this is the third diamond on this one for me.
0: I am on Team Dan and Professor. After a dreamy, clean Eddie intro, the brown sound comes back in on a tough rocker that features Alex pounding that kit and deftly changing up the rhythms while adding terrific fills. This has got everything I want in a Van Halen track. Dave whooping up his dave Mikey sneaking in those bass fills that are pushed forward in the mix. I'm with you, Dan. Those fantastic VH harmonies and a slower breakdown section. A scorching Eddie solo. Even a short instrumental hidden track that serves as an outro known as growth. Poor Dave. He's had his heart broken. His love life is a damn disgrace. But he's young and he's not giving up. He's looking for love and could it be you? Hey, he's hearing angels singing and sighing so you never know. Now that the track-by-track is finished, let's give our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a zero to five system, with five being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a zero, which is cleaning rooms and pushing brooms with the fools. Dan, what are your final thoughts on Women and Children First? From what I've heard, this
2: was not a happy record that they made. Ed was not in a good space with Dave. I've heard rumors that this was almost supposed to be one of his solo records, And Roth found out that they were going back into the studio and immediately showed up and injected himself into it. I I think that some of that tension spilled over, like you were saying, to the photo shoot that happened. Anyway, even though the band was in a bad place, they came out with something amazing. And this is part of why Van Halen worked, was this push and pull between this You know, Razzmatazz, Showbiz, David Lee Roth, and the pure musicianship of the other three who just kind of wanted to be almost like a progressive rock band at some points and being pulled into, you know, doing covers and doing stuff that people love, like pop songs. I think the meshing of those two worlds really worked for them. And I think once Dave exited the band, you can really tell what they were missing um everything about van halen that i love is on this record i'm not sure why i wasn't drawn to it initially i think it's probably because when i was in sixth and seventh grade the girls on the bus that i was trying to you know impress were all more into center swing and 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 beautiful girls and Unchained. so maybe i that's why i went for those records instead of this this is a great album everybody's at the top of their game This is Van Halen in its essence. I think they were in like their 1927 Yankees period where everything they did was amazing. I give this record a 4.5. The only thing I can say is I'm not sure why I didn't gravitate towards it when I was was in junior high. I should have. This record is amazing.
0: Professor?
1: Well, Well, I'm going to start off first. I was going to talk about growth or tank at the end first their little hidden track. Um, when I first heard that, it was a short jam that faded out. And then uh, Circus a Hip or Cream Magazine revealed the name of it. It was Tanker Growth at the time, which was also played in concert when they reappeared on stage for their encore. Um, they play this right before they break into Ice Cream Man while they were waiting for Roth to make his return to the stage because he didn't come out with the rest of that. The, those magazines also said in an interview with with Roth or Eddie or both of them that this they were going to uh, that they had the intention of starting the next album with Growth or Tank as a fully realized track. Of course, we all know that that never happened. It was a cool idea, which leads to a lot of what if fan speculation, but in the end is really just much ado about nothing. This album is beloved amongst the Van Halen fans and solidly in second or third place among the many Van Halen album ratings of the six pack. For me, it's nine songs with one semi-hidden track, four of which are, or either outright filler or subpar by Van Halen standards to me. Um, six solid tracks with three absolute stone cold classics. This is their first album of all originals, but nine songs, 34 minutes, and three subpar tracks kind of begs the question: is the well run dry for them? Of course, I'm looking at this with 2020 hindsight and 40 years. Looking back at the many reports of the tension within the band, it's obvious that the strain had taken its root and, and a toll already. Craig Renoff wrote an article a few years ago about the shoot, the photo shoot for the album cover and the back cover. And I never noticed it before, but if you look at, they were, they were, were, I guess they were fighting badly then, to the point where the, the uh, photographer thought they were going to break up right in front of him. And in the middle of it, Michael Anthony just sparks up a big doobie and starts smoking it. And you can see in the back photo, he's holding that doobie and blowing the smoke out on the back cover, So, which I never noticed until Renoff pointed it out. Listening to this album today, if pressed to rank it in the six-pack, I'd rank it a lot lower than than second or third. Uh, For me, it hasn't aged as well. The three classics haven't lost any shine, but as a whole album, this release has tarnished over the years. I don't know if it's, it's informed by Bitter Eddie or the decades of the DLR Sammy stuff my musical taste changing over the 43 years since its release or a combination of all of that fair warning, the debut 84 and Van Halen two are superior to me. I give this one a 3.25 for Van Halen, which would probably be a four to everybody else. But yeah, I, I was kind of shocked when I was listening to this because I know how highly regarded it is by so many fans. And the, the like I said, the three songs on it that I love, I absolutely love and never get tired of, but some of the other ones, I was kind of shocked that I didn't feel that way about Fools. It just did not do it for me that anymore. Lou?
3: At this stage in their career, Van Halen was still one of my favorite bands. They hadn't got to the megastardom that Diver Down brought and the ubiquitousness of 1984 that made me fatigued of them. This was Van Halen in their prime, and it sounds it. Everything was still new and there wasn't any earburn yet. This has always been one of my favorite Van Halen records. And without a simple rhyme, it's a perfect record. If we include the final track, it gets a four and three quarters. But this album is is definitely up there.
0: It's funny, but this album kind of became the forgotten album of the original Van Halen six pack for me. Mostly because it sat in the lower middle of my affections for quite a long time. When I think about my very favorite VH records, this one doesn't jump immediately to my mind. And that's my own fault, because whenever I put it on, I always think, oh yeah, this is the shit. At the time, the band was riding high as a rising top act in the United States through constant touring, and more and more fans were catching on and joining the Van Halen party. Like their first two albums, this one was recorded in about two weeks or so, and the band headed back out on the road to promote it. The album cover was a photograph taken by Norman Seif that featured the band members holding up a catatonic Eddie Van Halen with a dark green border around it, and when Women and Children First was released, it met with mostly positive reviews and commercial success. The cracks that formed within the band began to show here as well as the album contained a poster of a shirtless David Lee Roth chained to a fence without any of the other members in it, an example of something that would cause tension and escalate to major issues, particularly between Dave and Eddie. As far as the music goes, Van Halen is beginning to experiment with the sound a bit, adding electric piano and more acoustic guitars, and yet this album also contains some of the heaviest tunes the band ever wrote. Unlike you, Professor, this has risen in my personal estimation over the years the more I listen to it. And at this point, I can safely say that I love the unholy frig out of this album. I give Women and Children First a four and a half, and this one has morphed for me from my forgotten record to one of my go-to essential listens. It's a must-have. Now we'd like to thank Patreon legend Dan Houston for coming back and digging into some Van Halen with us. Good times, man. Yeah, thanks a lot for letting me come back. Of course. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast on all the podcasting platforms wherever you listen to them. If you like what you hear, please subscribe or follow the podcast and leave us a review. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at ridiculousrockrecords at gmail.com or also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. We're also on Twitter at r4podcastaeron.com and Instagram under R4 Podcaster. If you feel the podcast has value and would like to make a contribution to support it, please head over to Patreon and the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews page and sign up on one of the monthly tiers. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for the R4 Podcast, I'm Aaron. I'm the Professor. And I'm Lou. See ya! Look, I'll pay you for it. What the fuck?
4: Loose and improvisational. Oh, excuse me. Again. Uh, hold on. Roth is really selling this one. Um, can we just stop and rewind? For I, I screwed something up. I can't read my notes. <laughs> I can't read my notes. <laughs> you got that. So I don't know what Dave's singing about. He sounds like he's in love, hearing bells ringing and birds singing. Not sure why. Not sure where they... I can't read my (laughs) nose. I can't read my nose. I can't read my (laughs) nose.